Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Ron Paul Liberty Report. With us today is Daniel McAdams, our co-host. Daniel, good to see you. Good morning, Dr. Paul. How are you this doing, Thursday morning? Doing well. Yes. Always ready to solve another problem. Oh, we need a speaker. And I, I, <laughs> I, I hope ours reverses what the truth is and Mises points out. <clears throat> Every time you write a regulation, you create two more needs for the next yeah. regulation to correct it. If we could just reverse that trend, that would be a good idea. You get rid of one. Oh, you know, if you get rid of that one, you can get rid of two yeah, more. that would be good. I think they tried that at one time, but it didn't work to try to legislate that issue. But we have to change the minds of a lot of people who benefit from this and a lot of money that's involved. And there's a few people in the military industrial complex. They, they have a lot of clout and uh, the medical profession has lost its way and they have a bunch of clowns that run medicine now yeah. and uh, who knows what's happening. So there's a lot of special interests we deal with, but we will still plug away. We want to uh, do number, what is it, a third day for us to talk yep. about uh, the, the speaker and uh, wh where is the speaker? Who's speaking for the country? Uh -huh. And uh, this, is, this is necessary. You know, I don't worry too much about that because at least, uh, at least they haven't uh, done too much. And it used to be a saying, well, if they're out of session, we're all safe. Yeah. But that isn't even even true mm -hmm. anymore because you have courts that rule, Supreme Courts that rules. We have bureaucrats that write regulations. We have, uh, you, you, you know, security efforts. The FBI and the CIA, they don't uh, they don't disappear they don't when sleep. the Congress. Yeah. Uh, matter of fact, uh, it uh, the whole thing is that the Congress wouldn't continue. The spending continues. Everything's on autopilot. And uh, they take care of themselves. So it's a, it's a bigger issue than that. The big picture is, is why do we become dependent on, on government for things they can't do? Yeah. So, but anyway, we want to talk a little bit about the effort because as, as terrible as what's going on in Washington as usual, there are some people uh, that, uh, you know, probably are on the both sides of this uh, argument, uh, yeah. you, you know, for different reasons, uh, support the different sides. So there are some. But overall, the thrust of Washington, the thrust of Congress, the attitudes, the understanding of economic policy and the consensus that uh, drives people to support intervention overseas, that is so powerful. And uh, yet yeah, we, we, uh, we believe it's very necessary to talk about it. But there's, uh, you know, McCarthy <laughs> Uh, is uh, under the gun right now. He's in big trouble. Uh, I would have to say if the uh, if Las Vegas was involved today, they'd probably be betting <laughs> betting against him. But I, I haven't looked at that yet. Uh, but there's probably some bets going on. I'm sure. Uh, so, uh, he um, uh, McCarthy knows. He's in trouble, yeah. and he's made concessions rather early on. That's a, that's a pretty bad sign for him po politically. So uh, he's made some concessions, and we want to go over those yeah. a little bit to show what he what has he conceded. And you might some people who are rooting for McCarthy say, "Look, how much more do you want to do? Why is this happening? Yeah. Why are you turning this government over to the Democrats? Because if we can't get together, that gives uh, the Democrats much freer range, and it uh, it means that uh, it's a victory for Biden. And yeah. there are a lot of arguments against." It. But anyway, let's just talk a little bit 
uh, about uh, about these efforts that we want to do. But there was a good article in Zero Hedge and also in uh, Politico yeah. that uh, uh, the, the concessions we might just uh, just talk about. The first one they listed was this: one person could. Uh, uh, you know, a uh, motion to vacate. One person could force a vote for this on the speaker. Yeah, that's a good one. We'll, we'll put that up. But I think, just, if I can just say one thing on what you said, I mean, I think you're right. A very good case could be made about let's not fight within the party. Let's just elect McCarthy and get on with governing. <laughs> and I think that's what Marjorie Taylor Greene is saying. And she's definitely on the other side of Matt Gates and, and the others. There's basically 20 holdouts. <coughs> These 20 holdouts have said to some of the newer members, look, we have been watching years and years of compromises on the part of McCarthy. Back when he and Pat Ryan and Eric Cantor were the young guns. Remember that? I just saw someone posted that headline. They were the young guns. And they were going to do all this stuff. Well, basically, well, all that they did was compromise while we went from 10 to $30 trillion in debt. So uh, you could make a case either way. And we don't really have a case because it's really, as you would say, not that much of a philosophical discussion here, but there are some elements to it, and, and we should bring up that first one. Put up that first clip, and let's see if this comes through. This is sort of the backdrop. This is from Politico. Uh, late night concessions. Uh, I saw some <coughs> pizza being delivered, so no doubt they ate a lot of pizza uh, and tried to hammer things out. Well, here's the first one, uh, and go next if you, if you will, because this is, as you say, I guess this is one of the top demands from the 20 rebels. A one-member motion to vacate, the GOP leader appears to have finally acquiesced to a demand to lower the threshold. Basically, one person can go down to the floor and essentially uh, trigger a vote of no confidence in the speaker. I honestly don't know what to think about it. Maybe you have some, some thoughts about it. Is that a good idea, a bad idea? Well, it um, should be unnecessary. You know, if we had the right kind of people there with respecting the Constitution. You wouldn't be worrying about uh, the difference between, uh, you know, 5, 10, or 20, or whatever. Uh, it would be uh, much more conciliatory. They would talk it over and figure it out. One, I, uh, I think that, uh, you know, e even though I argue that... Uh, Congress is not all that relevant, and if if they want to fight out there, it's not going to change the big picture. But I, I think if I were forced to say, well, which way would you lay on? I, I, I just don't think it's going to add any benefits to anybody. And to argue, well, it's, it's more chaos, that's a little bit of a backward way of, of demonstrating. But some days I think, I think more, the more uh, they're put into a predicament where they can't make progress, the better. So I, I, would, I would tend to support this. But uh, it's, it's, it's not, I can't believe it'll happen. Yeah. And if it does happen, there'll be some way that it, uh, it, it it's not going to work because the problems are so different than the squabble they're having there. The problem is that we have a moral and a financial bankruptcy in the country and they don't even talk about yeah. it. Well, maybe if they keep hassling this George Santos guy, he'll go down there every day and <laughs> have a motion to yeah. kick out the speaker. Let's move on to the second one. Uh, and this has to do with rules. And, you know, a lot of people don't understand the rules committee process, but the rules committee is extraordinarily powerful. As you know very well, Dr. Paul, I remember sitting in on a few Rules Committee hearings uh, when you had an amendment and seeing if they were going to allow your amendment, you know, just holding our breath. Um, they are so powerful, they control how the bill is debated on the floor. They frame the debate extremely powerful behind the scenes. So the second uh, compromise is apparently 
Rules Committee seats for the Freedom Caucus. And the Freedom Caucus is far from your Liberty <coughs> Caucus, uh, but there are more conservative members. McCarthy is prepared to give the House Freedom Caucus two seats on the powerful House Rules Committee, which oversees the amendment process for the floor, and I would say, and many, many other things as well. There are also talks about giving a third seat to a conservative close to the Freedom Party, but not in it, and they say someone like Thomas Massey of Kentucky. So the idea is to allow some of these rebels to sit in on the committee, maybe have someone like Thomas Massey in the committee, in the Rules Committee. Uh, we talked about this before the show, and you said, you know, you don't know whether that's going to make a huge difference. Yeah, I think there should be some equity, and there has been over the years. Uh, the people who win and control the speakership, they're going to have more votes, and those numbers haven't varied. They don't get changed every year. So I, I would think I, I didn't complain about that particular thing. But uh, I'll tell you the thing that I learned after I got there was uh, – you know, the um, uh, legislation, you know, what we're taught in school, you know, it goes to the subcommittee, it goes to the full committee, it goes to the floor and it goes to the Senate and all these yeah. things. Uh, but it had nothing to do with the final version of the bill. Yeah. And I can remember when it first happened, I was on the banking committee and we fussed and fumed and they were uh, doing, it, uh, doing it. But then it went to the rules committee. I said, well, why don't they just look at the book and see what the rules are to bring it up? Yeah. The Rules Committee, they have license to do whatever they want. Anything. I've seen it strike the whole bill and yeah. rewrite it in the Rules Committee after weeks and weeks of all this BS you yeah. Know, yeah. of doing this. So I, I think that's more important to know that. So it, and, and the other thing is, if it happens to get, th uh, get through, and they, they did this once on a, on a uh, uh, on a uh, financial bill, the Monetary Control Act, it uh, it went to the uh, a conference between the Senate and the House, and some of the <laughs> worst parts was put on in a conference, and nobody looks at the time. Anyway, yeah, everybody, yeah. nobody looks at a conference report. Oh, we've gone through this for weeks Already, and weeks. Yeah. So it comes back to the floor, and the Rules Committee had their chance at it. The House, the, House, the committees had it, but that's probably irrelevant yeah. it, because it's still the rules committee is a big deal but even after that the people who are behind the scenes who are really pulling the strings if they really need something i've seen it happen where they've taken you know just a phrase or a sentence and radically changed the final version at the conference yeah. and uh it, it was uh something that uh, very very few people knew that it was actually uh in the bill and that's certainly not what the conference is designed for it's designed just to reconcile yeah, the house and so senate versions take two numbers and that yeah and, yeah <laughs> i remember the it was i think it was called the chairman's mark where it says strike everything after the title and add this and yeah. it was a new bill written by the chairman of the rules committee yeah, it was, many, it was many start times. all over again. Yeah, so that's that's a big issue. The next one I think uh, is is interesting in a way, and we'll talk about it for a second. Put that put that up if you will. A a vote on term limits. This is a key demand of Representative Ralph Norman, Republican of South Carolina, who has proposed a constitutional amendment limiting lawmakers to three terms in the House. This is very popular among populists. But if I remember correctly, your view is very different on term limits, and it's evolved a little bit. Yes, when when I was up there early on in the 70s, 
you know, that appealed to me, you know, they get there and have all this power and I thought it was just a power system, didn't understand exactly all these rules and how they can get around them. Yeah. So it, it, the one thing I noticed is that there was voluntary term limits and there was quite, a, not quite a few, but the, the, there were several that we knew that term limited themselves and they did it after three terms, uh, three, three election, three terms, and uh, they would resign. And inevitably, the person who replaced him, I thought, was law, you know, worse. worse. Yeah. But because the person who is principled to Ray the Lee was a much better congressman. And so that, I, I you know, just faded on. But we had some votes way back then, and I supported term limits. But then the more I looked at it, and that, that's not the issue. It's, it's better that we talk to kids and teach them Austrian economics yeah, and yeah. teaching them a little bit about why non-intervention foreign policy important uh, ra rather than term limits. Changing the Constitution for that, I, 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 I would never support anything like that. Even when I was somewhat sympathetic to it, yeah. I wouldn't have changed change uh, change the Constitution for that purpose because there is a vehicle for it. At least, at least you can and some people goof off and they get thrown out and the people realize uh, they're not doing a good job. But they should they should be put out because they're voting wrong. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, but but I, 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 I don't think that uh, that's a good idea to, to fight for ter term limits. It's, uh, it, it's not going to solve the problems. And then the other people, some people make the point about, well, then you would have the staffers, they hang around. Of course, uh, my rule was there, never hire a former staffer yeah. for anybody else, yeah. but but that that is, that is true. But but you, is is that going to be a practical thing to do to fire all the staffers? I mean, it, uh, it probably wouldn't hurt that much. Yeah, but no that, that's not the solution. It's the, it's the philosophy of the what type of government we should have, and the idea that we have the rules of the philosophy, and it's called the Constitution, yeah. and they don't care about it. You know, so that's that's where the real problem is. And uh, it cha changing it to uh, limited terms, I wouldn't be for that now. Yeah, imagine a state like Kentucky, which has some good politicians and some bad politicians. <laughs> imagine if Rand, if, if Senator Paul had been forced out before he had the chance to ask Fauci all these questions. He did a great service to the country. So, yeah, I think that is a, a, a there are very many well-meaning people who don't understand right. this. Let's go to the next one. Now, this is one that I think is probably the most important. Maybe you'll agree. Um, uh, one before that, please. This one I think is probably the most important. Um, major changes to the appropriations process. Fears of another trillion dollar plus omnibus spending bill have been a major driver of the conservative backlash to McCarthy. The brewing deal includes a promise for standalone votes on each of the 12 appropriations bills, which would be considered under what's known as an open rule, allowing floor amendments to be offered by any lawmaker. That is simply, I would call it, give legislators a chance to legislate act and it shouldn't just be a promise it's got to be written in blood right on the yeah on the it, agreement. It, then it's probably not going to work yeah I, I i would i would support it you know about it but the reason it didn't work when we had it when i first went up there we did have that and it was an open rule and it was a time i mentioned it recently where i got involved in trying to deep fund the united nations yeah and i had a lot of time and it went on and on and uh several hours but all they have to do is uh 
the strategy is wear them out on one amendment, which is, uh, you know, sort of taking all the energy out of, and you know, members of Congress are like human beings. They get tired and bored after yeah. that. But after two or three hours of this, you know, and they don't even go on, they might have 50, yeah. 50 things. I some, what, what they'll do is sometimes they'll bundle them together and say, we're going to have uh, two minute votes on these six amendments yeah. or something like that. But they can do it by unanimous consent. They can close it off anytime they want. So sometimes you try to, uh, you know, rein these people in. Uh, they, there's a way of getting around it, sort of called a, a loophole. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I still think. Uh, that should be. It's been in the past up until, but because right now they do it because they're in such a desperation to get things passed. Yeah. When when things were more reasonable, they didn't have to even even think about this. But uh, I I think that uh, uh, you know the appetite for spending is so great. The one thing though that uh, it's it's just a technical thing and it's a semantics, because uh, you know I'm sure the caucus is for uh, a balanced budget. Yeah. You know. The, the conservative caucus, so they they want uh, they 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 want a balanced budget, and, and I'm for a balanced budget too. And I think I have a record to show that I voted for a balanced budget. <laughs> but you, you know what? Uh, I think people should think one step removed from the balanced budget, because what if the budget is uh, what, what is it trillion? Let's say it's three trillion dollars, whatever it is, and uh, they they. Uh, Go up three and a half trillion dollars, uh, so they raise taxes and they balance the budget. <laughs> so no, the balanced budget is secondary to total spending, because once they go into deficits, you know it has to be paid for, and they'll do it by uh, taxing or borrowing, whatever it is. So uh, I, I think overall. The, the amount of spending, the appropriations, is probably more important than just balancing the budget. But I think Jefferson was for the balanced budget, and I'm with Jefferson. <laughs> <laughs> That's always a safe place to be. The last one uh, is, I think, also very interesting, and I think very misunderstood, just like the term limits. Let's put that next one up. Um, conservatives also won a concession to carve out any earmarks included in those packages for separate votes, though it's unclear whether they'd been voted on as one package or separately. This is again, the populists love to go after the earmarks as being the source of all evil, but you have always taken a different position on earmarks. Yes, and I can uh, say that I made some promises, and part of that promise was in the Constitution, uh, obeying the Constitution. So I never voted for one penny of any earmarks. But that's not what people accused me of. They accused me of being part of the problem yeah. because uh, a vote would, would come up to, uh, you know, protect, uh, protect an earmark. And I would vote to protect the earmark principle, but not the money. I'd yeah. vote against all the money. And they said that was hypocritical. You're not doing it, but we have to cut it. No, you, you don't. You don't have to, you, you can't do that. So when they vote for this, they, they have to vote. What, what happens when you cut, uh, cut an earmark, uh, but you don't cut the money? Yeah. Who spends the money? The executive branch. It is a gimmick to put more money in there and uh, just think of what goes on in the welfare state and the warfare state and all the out of control. This would make it worse if there's a trillion dollars worth of earmarks. 
the responsibility is on the Congress to tell them how that's to be spent. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that that never won a lot of, uh, because it, uh, most of them sort of like it, because well, I got this, uh, you hear it on the television yeah. all the time. Do you know that I got the umpteen billion dollars for my district? And uh, that's why I'm in a secure position. So they brag on this. So uh, mine is not a popular position, but uh, I happen to endorse it. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's all these stories about the bridge to nowhere in Alaska and all this stuff, and that did happen. But your point is such a great point, which is that if you don't tell the executive branch how to spend that money, which is your job as a legislator, they love that. They'll spend it however they want. You know, and it's, it seems like such an easy easy thing to understand that the whole job of Congress is to earmark the money, yeah, is to tell it. exactly where it's, it's going to be right. spent. But I don't, I don't, even though it's a logical thing to, to me and a lot of people, I don't know that that's going to win. Uh, it's too easy to attack it. Right. Um, well, I guess we're ready to move on. We'll see what happens. We'll keep watching and, and keep updating all of you. And uh, I think it's probably one of the most interesting things that happens uh, right now. But we have to move on. And let's move on to this next one because there is a lot of stuff happening while we're watching the speaker. And there was yet another rocket attack on a U.S. base, not in America, but in Syria. Uh, the U.S. Central Command on Wednesday said two rockets were fired at a base in eastern Syria, uh, housing troops earlier in the day. Uh, the attack took place in the mission support site Conoco. That sounds like an oil company. <laughs> Conoco, a base next to the Conoco gas fields in eastern Syria's Deir Ezzer province. Problem with this, uh, there are a lot of problems. One of them is it's a U.S. base in Syria, and Syria did not invite us. And number two, it's an American company, or it's a, a company, Conoco, taking the oil out. One of the reasons why I wanted this to come up, it's serious and it's very uh, important, uh, but it's not in the news. And uh, I think it should be more in the news. And the other point is it, it, isn't, it isn't America, but it isn't Ukraine either. Yeah. We, I mean, we've talked about Ukraine and that's ongoing and that deserves a, a lot of attention and maybe it'll straighten out someday. But this is, uh, this is the point that uh, uh, the uh, uh, the Syria, we shouldn't forget about it. And uh, then people say, well, why do, why do they hate us? I said, well, maybe it's because we steal their oil. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, why, that's why they hate us. And, you know, the coups and, and Syria, this, our effort to add Syria to our empire has not gone smoothly, uh, even though we're participants and they think that uh, we're invincible, but all empires become uh, uh, endangered. And I think that's what's happening to us right now is that people are not paying attention to uh, what what is he happening but uh, there's also you know a little bit of break in uh, the how, which company which countries are supporting and uh, ev evidently uh, turkey's uh, interested in syria as well yeah it is and you know going back to the uh to the if we can put on that next clip this is from the cradle and you you're right well why are they angry u.s base in syria struck as washington loots more oil and wheat so we have the most severe sanctions in the world on Syria, but at the same time we steal their oil and wheat. And if you could look at this next clip, this is from that same article in the cradle. Um, it says, on that same day, U.S. troops were simultaneously carrying out yet another looting and smuggling operation, illegally making their way to bases in Iraq, carrying over seven trucks and tankers of stolen wheat and oil. Just in one day, 60 tankers and trucks taking the oil from Syria and giving it to the Kurds in Iraq. 
of course that's going to make them angry. Um, in the estimate, here's another article from the cradle, so you can go to that next one. U.S. steals new batch of Syrian oil as Damascus reports $107 billion in losses since 2011. So that continues to go on. And as you say, something is changing. And put on that next one, please, because there has been a break. You know, Turkey went along with Barack Obama's regime change operation in Syria, uh, changed his position, became anti-Syria, supported the regime change. It didn't go well. It didn't go as planned. Russia stepped in a few years later and basically literally pulled Syria from the brink of an overtake by al-Qaeda and ISIS. And so now, fascinating, fascinating shit that's <coughs> happening, which is that Turkey has decided to make peace with Syria in a very slow way. There's already been meetings between the foreign ministers and the defense ministers, and Turkey has now announced that it's pulling its troops out of Syria, which is extremely significant. That means really the only occupying forces in Syria are the United States. You know, uh, it was, it was uh, Obama, I believe, who said when the war was starting and while he was moving, Assad has to go. Yeah, yeah. And <clears throat> right now, it looks like that policy is dead. Yeah. It looks like they're going to have to accept the fact that uh, Assad managed to go through this. And, you know, it's not like, uh, I, I don't know every belief he has, and he's an authoritarian, I'm sure. <clears throat> but in some ways, it looks like a guy you could talk to, yeah. you, you know, maybe, and, and not uh, just threaten. And uh, this is, uh, this is a, a point for us, a plus, that uh, interventionism isn't the greatest road to uh, expanding your empire. Yeah. You know, yeah. we, we can hardly add it, but that oil's still a big deal. Yeah, for them it is. It hurts them a lot. And... You know, you're right. It does show the, the idiocy of the neocon regime change operations. And now as Turkey and Syria are making up, the U.S. says, hey, we, we, we don't support that. We don't support that. It's going to be very awkward. This is the last word on this. Very, uh, for, for me, at least, the last, uh, uh, it's going to be very awkward when Turkey and Syria unite against the Kurds because the Kurds are our allies in, uh, in, uh, in Syria. The, Turks, the, the Kurds are America's allies. So it's going to be a NATO partner, Turkey, allied with an enemy, Assad, uh, against a U.S. ally in the Kurds. If you understand that, then maybe you should be a neocon because the rest of us say that sounds crazy. But we want to move on to our last story, I think. Well, let, let oh, me I'm sorry, make one mention about, you, you know, the theory that we use is the proxy war theory, that yeah. we always have somebody doing the fighting for us, but it's really us. It's certainly the case in Ukraine. So I think right now, you, you know, the Kurds are the proxy yeah. people and uh, also the reason why it's, it's it, uh, we can't walk away yet, but I think we're going to walk away. And, and that, that should be one of the key issues in a presidential election. It should be the key issue, uh, you know, on all that time consumption that they're doing right now in Washington, yeah. because this is big stuff and it, it, it's a, a picture of, of a policy that is just a terrible policy. And a lot of people have suffered, especially since uh, the World War II. Of course, the World Wars were horrible. But since then, it's uh, no declaration, proxy wars, build the empire, control the, the uh, reserve currency of the world, the, the whole works. And I think it's uh, going to come to an end. Well, they'll fight to the tooth for the speaker, but they all agree on the empire. So that's that's the <laughs> yeah, cool issue. Yeah, that's right. Well, here's a here's a follow up to something we have talked about in the past, Doctor Paul, and that's this terrible, terrible law in California to muzzle uh, uh, to muzzle doctors 
uh, and it went into effect on January 1st. Let's put this up. Uh, new California law to punish doctors for, quote, COVID misinformation conduct. I know this is something that I, I almost see steam coming out of your ears right now. <laughs> so go ahead and uh, if you want to talk about. You mean the, the recall didn't work? <laughs> no, it was close, <laughs> but not close enough. Well, that was a mess, too, trying to get rid of the, the, the uh, governor. And he's involved. He likes this kind of stuff. And uh, let me read one sentence from the article that was put out by Zero Hedge. Uh, and he says, the bill in its latest iteration defines misinformation as, quote, false information that is contradicted by contemporary scientific consensus contrary to the standard of care. We must follow what we did with COVID. Oh, no, that wasn't in the <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's what they're saying, you know, how they controlled the care. Now, now it's come out, oh, we never told you you couldn't use ivermectin. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah, they're denying it now. So this, this, is, this is just uh, another example. You'd think they'd back off a little bit, but uh, the, uh, you, you know, the, the, the coup and the control of power has infiltrated uh, medical management. You know, the AMA and, and all, uh, all the legislation and financing of it, the insurance companies, the drug companies, it's all, all controlled by that. Not, it's not controlled uh, by uh, doctors having a good relationship with their patients and able to discuss this because uh, almost all <clears throat> uh, medication, the discussion should be, even though it's well standard, you know what the drug is, everything, you should tell the patient, yes, but this is, uh, this, these are the pros and cons. There's also these problems, but that should be done. And that's why medicine should be based on trust. And yeah. what they have done now since COVID is they've destroyed the trust and punish you if you try to practice medicine by dealing with your patients like you're supposed to. Yeah. Terrible, terrible. Don't move to California. Get out if you can. Yeah. Well, I'm going to close out by thanking Doubting Thomas for a rumble rant of $20 saying, end all foreign aid. We can certainly agree with that. And I'm going to do a final thing, Dr. Paul, uh, that's going to shock you because we thought we were done with Pelosi, but guess what? She decided to tweet in all of this chaos on the floor. She decided to tweet and put up that last one. All who serve in the House share a responsibility to bring dignity to this body, <laughs> says the woman who ripped up the president's speech. So that's my final word, Dr. Paul, and I'll send it over to you. The queen of hypocrisy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and there's a lot of hypocrisy to go, go around. And, uh, you know, lying and propaganda and hypocrisy, unfortunately, is symbolic of so much in, in Washington. So for, for the sake of the argument today, uh, maybe uh, the, the 20 individuals are exactly concerned about what we're concerned about. And I think most of them are to a degree where they have disagreements with us on maybe getting rid of the Fed to borrow or bringing our troops home, a few things like that. But, but still, people are disgusted and it takes that. That is why, in spite of the fact we still have this craziness of uh, states passing laws to regulate the doctors and, and regulate, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, the vaccines and all, uh, the effort to do this is just astounding. They do not give up. They keep doing it and it's going to take what we saw 
during the high high period, the period when you know the regulations were so high, when the parents got involved and you're destroying our children, and they're still doing that. I see. I think it was New Jersey was putting masks on kids again. I mean, where where are their brains? You know, they they probably had masks on for too long, and yeah. uh, and undid their brain. But anyway, uh, we uh, we still actually feel good about some of the things happening for us in our program because we're getting good comments, we're getting more viewers, and uh, I I get nice letters. I get really nice letters. I had another letter. I'm always fascinated when a 14 year old individual can write me a note. And it's very legible and, and very well written. And he says, by the way, I'm homeschooled. <laughs> that, that they're out there and uh, they're, not, uh, they're not out in the forefront and they won't be. And that is why if you don't hear them on uh, the mainstream media or, or in the social media, there's a lot of activity going up there. And I, I just think it's so great when young people get involved and there's a lot of that going on. But eventually, that's the only thing that makes a difference. It made a difference that moved the needle along to get rid of all that lockdown business because the parents got finally fed up with it and started going to the meetings. And they have to continue to do that. So yes, we do need, a, we do need people speaking out and uh, politicians will respond on uh, to that. So we'll, we'll keep plugging along and I feel comfortable by defending a position that says that we should have uh, a policy that promotes peace and prosperity. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today to the Liberty Report. Please come back soon.